What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I'm Connor O'Gara. Well, it is emergency podcast time because a 72-year-old coach is no longer going to be doing his job. Pete Carroll is gone. Pete Carroll is gone. You got me, bro. You got me. You know, that's a great segue because I was just telling you, like, just all very like, man, I thought today was a big day because of uh, Bo Davis. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it's an even bigger day. Pete Carroll, you know, I don't really remember a world without Pete Carroll. And I was like, Nick Saban? Like, Pete Carroll and Nick Saban are the end of an era because, and you're like a little bit older than me, but they were coaching in the 90s. Like, I do not remember football without those two guys. It is a a wild day. One of those, one of those texts, tweets, whatever it is that you're probably not going to forget where you were when you saw the news that Chris Lowe, of course it was Chris Lowe who reported it. That was money in the bank that Chris Lowe yep. was going to report Nick Saban's retirement. Um, oh, and how about community notes? Did you see that got community noted on Twitter? And they were like, Nick Saban doesn't confirm that. And it's like, oh, you poor, sweet summer child. You think that Chris Lowe is, he, he is the confirmation buddy. <laughs> Look, Chris, Chris Lowe and, and Saban, th- those guys, like he, everybody always makes the the reference that, that Saban and Rinaldi are really tight. When I was when I was at the SEC championship, and this will segue into you know some Saban legacy talk. We got a lot to get to with this emergency pod that we're that we're doing all of the different layers that that go into this, and so there's a lot of stuff that we'll talk about. But I was sitting b- behind Chris Lowe at the Alabama press conference at the SEC championship, and there was this like the way that it was set up to the right in like a like a the section right next to us was Miss Terry and, you know, and Nick's, and Nick's family and stuff like that. And um, she had come over to Chris a few, like multiple times. And she had a, um, a certain energy about her where mm-hmm. she was really savoring it. And I didn't want to look too far into it now. And I realized I'm just playing the results here. And I'm, I'm like replaying these things in my mind of like, what were the signs? Everybody's talking about like what he said with McAfee and how he was kind of, you know, the tea leaves were there. Um, but I had kind of filed that away and thought, mm, she's she's acting a little bit more sentimental in appreciating this and appreciating this SEC championship that was different than, than any other, I think, with the things that were being said about Alabama in September. And so to think that we got to this place, and by the way, I went on the record two weeks ago saying, I don't think Saban's done. I don't think he's going to walk off like this. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. But Nick Saban retires as the greatest coach in the history of this sport and one of the mm-hmm. greatest coaches in the history of sport in general. And I don't think yeah. that is up for debate. I think the the passing of Bear with the all-time rings, I think that kind of shuts down any sort of debate. You can get into whether or not this era rings matter more or whatever. The most impressive Saban feat is the fact that he went to nine national championships in a 15-year stretch. Whew. Yeah, and I mean, doing it at multiple places. I mean, like, so I always talk about leaders. They're builders and they're destroyers, right? They're people that come in and, and break everything and, and change it. Nick Saban is the best builder in college football history. He started with, and I mean, you could talk about some like one program guys, like a Bobby Bowden. I'm not going to, Joe Pa, I'm not going to discredit those guys. But to go to different programs, Michigan State, LSU, Alabama, and take them, you know, kind of from the dump to the heights. And obviously Michigan State didn't win a championship, but it was a stepping stone. And that they were happy to have him and everything that he did there. And I think he learned something along the way every time. He got better every time. But there's something to that, to being a multiple-stop guy who made every spot better than he found it. 
Well, I think you could make the case that Saban built the SEC as we know it today. And there are a lot of people to credit for that. Former Commissioner, mm-hmm. Mike, the late Mike Slive is obviously a big part of that. Greg Sankey's a big part of that. And there are people along the way in Spurrier and the things that he did to implement the SEC championship in the 90s. And, and obviously the legacy of Bear Bryant is, you know, a second to none. But I think you look at what the SEC has become since Saban agreed to become the next head coach at Alabama and becoming the first $4 million coach in the history of this sport. And to think about the influence that he has had on everybody. And that has been the standard. And there are certain programs that felt that in such significant ways. And you could look at obviously Florida with Urban and the way that that fizzled out. Les Miles, who had things rolling for a bit. And then all of a sudden, Saban was this standard that he couldn't live up to. And for so many, it was this this unattainable goal. And Mm -hmm. it was so difficult to get to that place. But I do think that so many other programs got better, you know, shoot, shoot for the moon, reach the stars, whatever, whatever that phrase is. So many in the SEC, I think, benefited from that. And obviously, the the impact that he has had on Tuscaloosa, on Alabama as, as a whole, and I don't just say the university, I mean, I mean, the state and everything. It's yeah. so hard to quantify all of those different things. And as crazy as it's as it sounds, the amount of people that have said, I want to go to Alabama because Nick Saban's there. And I'm not just talking about athletes, even I'm talking about students. I'm I'm talking about fans who come into this country and want to see American college football and want to go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama to see the greatest coach in the history of this sport. And there are so many different things like that, that when the, the grand story of Saban is told, ultimately we'll be able to kind of recognize, and we're going to find out even more great stories that are going to come out about Saban that haven't been told. That's what always happens with these retirements and and stuff like this. But it's a legacy that is just, it it is unbelievable to put in perspective the amount of things, the amount of different areas that he was able to impact simply by saying, yes, I would like to be the next head coach at Alabama. And oh, by the way, you boosters in here that have been trying to run the show and trying to do this and that, your time is done. I'm doing this now. This is how mm-hmm. I'm going to impact you. And this is how I'm going to make this place better. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I obviously have a kind of unique perspective on Nick Saban because I, he's one of the guys that, you know, made me fall in love with football. And my dad is a Bama fan to this day. Obviously, one of the best relationship with him. But growing up, it was a split Alabama LSU household. And I remember loving Nick Saban. That's why I chose LSU. And I obviously was on my mom's side too. It was a lot of that too. But and I remember, you know, leaving and moving from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Hoover, Alabama, right before Saban got there. I mean, or, or, sorry, at the worst possible time to do that, which was right before 2008. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there for 07. <laughs> I was there for 08. And the difference between showing up there with, with you know, that team that wasn't great when all the critics were still, you know, having, when I was laughing in the, after year one, you know, say, oh, we got less miles or on top of the world. And, you know, Auburn, you know, going for, the thumb and, and and having their foot on Alabama's neck. And then slowly each of those kind of kingdoms just fell and it was breaking one thing, breaking another thing, but the vibe and the energy just changed over the course of my time in Alabama. Alabama fans became louder, prouder, more, and they had a right to, it wasn't like they were bandwagon or anything, but they didn't have that same level of pride for, you know, the shoe years for, for the things that came before. And I, like I said, I, I, my dad was a Bama fan. I, I remember those parts of Bama. So it, it, it really made, I mean, by the time I left, it was like, especially in that Birmingham area, it felt like it was about split when I got there. 
and by the time that Crimson started like taking over, because what could you say by the time I left in 2013? You know, you know, he'd done it all. There was a certain point that every fan, whether you had a rooting interest or not, where every fan just thought, well, Bama's inevitable this year and they're going to win a title. I mean, mm-hmm. it is so difficult to get to that place where you feel helpless. You feel like there is nothing that your team can do to overcome this inevitable force. And Saban was that for, for so many years. And, and I think that even in deep, dark places where they don't want to talk about, there are certain fan bases the last few years that even as they're saying, oh, you know, Dynasty's dead, they're going to fall off, they're going to do this. They still thought, oh, crap, I've got to get through Saban. Like Georgia fans, they know it. I mean, they, they yeah. know what that feeling is like all too well to see – and I think it would have been different if Kirby had beat Saban again. And then it's kind of like, all right, Kirby walks off with two consecutive wins against Saban. But to still think about what he did this late and to not have this, you know, this massive fall off where all of a sudden the program had deteriorated. They kind of wanted yep. to force him out. Exits are usually awkward. They're, yep. they're usually super uncomfortable. And it is so rare to be in this place where it felt like, yes, he didn't get to go out on top. He didn't get to have the confetti fall on him that one last time and walk off a national champ in the way that many forecasted. This wasn't some John Elway exit or something like that. This was this was different. But at the same time, you know, he wins an SEC championship. He has this year that shows he's still pretty freaking good at this. And I was trying to think about all the ways that he reminded us that he's still very good despite the fact that as we've mentioned, this is the first time that Alabama has endured a three-year stretch that it didn't win a national championship since he arrived. An absurd <laughs> feat. A truly absurd feat. Man. Wow, that dude's washed. I mean, <laughs> Three whole years. Sorry, that's and, just so crazy to say out loud. And here's the, here's the funny thing, too. I think Georgia's going to be the team of the 2020s. We're going to get to the Georgia Kirby smart of this in, in, a, in a bit here. Mm-hmm. I think Georgia's going to be the team of the 2020s. Saban won three of the four SEC championships in the 2020s decade. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is absurd. Absurd when you have had the level of success that he did for as long as he did to recruit at the level that he did. And, you know, it's it's not just what did he do in college football. It's how is this guy going to be talked about as, as just a, a legend of sports? I was getting into it with our guy Van Lathan earlier about because this was actually before, ironically enough, before the Saban announcement, and it was after the Pete Carroll announcement of who's considered the better coach because Pete Carroll had the success at the NFL and the college level. And I I, I pushed back on that just because I think that what Saban did at the college level is still just so insane. And 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 even though Carroll was, was great with the Seahawks and did amazing things at USC – I still would say like who's going to have the better feet at the top of their at, at the top of the resume and for me that that is Saban and having this prolonged run that that Pete Carroll couldn't at, at USC mm-hmm. and so many others couldn't. Spurrier lasted what 11 years at Florida and Urban could only last a certain amount of years at Florida because of Saban whether he admits it or admits it or not. And there are certain coaches and even you know you wonder like a like a Bobby Bowden obviously like he gets up there in age and he coaches into his 80s something that I don't think we're going to see anymore in the sport but you wonder how much someone like Bobby Bowden looked at what Saban was building at Alabama and thought to himself like games changed and I don't think I truly don't think that Saban ever looked at any one specific individual maybe Kirby at one point and thought man it's going to be tough for me to keep up with that because he did 
Yeah. And I think, you know, one, one thing you talk about the SEC championships in the 2020s, I mean, Georgia didn't win their SEC championship against Saban. They won it against Brian Kelly. And so Dude. like at the end of the day, like I, I think it's, it's been, uh, it, it's, it's been, you know, like I said, I always joked about Darth Saban on the podcast about, I never want to acknowledge the fact that Nick Saban could ever leave because I have been subconsciously hoping for it since I was 14. Well, we so, said, we said, how many times have we said in these airwaves, Saban's not going to retire until the robots get here. Oh, right. Are, are we, uh, the robots here? Have they arrived? Is that the breaking news? I'm scared. Are we have an emergency pod for that? Look out your window right now. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's like War of the Worlds. No, but I mean, you're right. And I think that so often for these legends, the final image is one of the game has passed this guy by, you know, and we kind of had a little glimpse of that last year. Um, But I think that this is such a perfect time for Saban to walk away from the game because this is a team that under any other head coach, maybe in college football history, is not a one loss regular season team. This is a team that has three, four, five losses. But in the moments where it came down to those split second decisions, the real, like the adjustments, you know, this is a guy who had a young offensive coordinator and he was able to push this team over the finish line so many times. And then to kind of bow out against Jim Harbaugh, win, win the SC championship against Georgia. You know, when you think about it, it's like, I don't think necessarily he was looking at a rebuild or anything, but it truly is like we, I said, you know, this is probably his best coaching job ever because it's one thing to come in and have these dominant teams. They're just pushing teams around and they're whatever. Y'all saw the offensive line in the Michigan game. Not good. Like this, this is not the Bama teams that would just run you over and destroy your soul. They really had to get, you know, every ounce of success out of this team. And so I, it's such a unique way to go because so many programs have to kind of put their coach out of their misery in a way because guys yep. don't want to let go of it. And I think that Saban – Bowed out at the perfect time. We didn't see him with some eight-win seasons or nine-win seasons and people saying the dynasty's dead. He said, all right, I won the SEC. We're the best team this year. If you don't like that, we beat your team. I'm out of here. Peace. Man is 72 years old and was still at this level. I don't think that there will be a whole lot of coaches that we see coach until they are 72. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, that's not a bold take or anything like that. But we got into this when we talked about whether or not Kirby could catch Saban mm-hmm. and how, man, like I know Kirby's only 48 at this point, right? Yeah, he's 48. Um, yeah, I think he just turned 48, <laughs> which is kind of an absurd thing to think about that he's still that young and he's as accomplished yeah. as he is. Coaching until you're in your 70s with the way that the calendar sets up, it is darn near impossible. It truly is. We've heard so many different coaches talk about the quality of life and talk about how you just always have to be on and you just always, you can't be off the grid. Kirby made the joke at media days about how he was going to, his wife wants to go to Italy, which is something that Saban did this, this past year with Miss Terry. It was a trip that he had pushed off for a really long time. And Kirby's like, yeah, my wife wants to go to the Amalfi coast. And uh, instead we ended up going to, to Mississippi and I was a travel baseball dad for five days. Like that's Kirby getting away. You know, like similar the Amalfi Coast in Mississippi, but he would say, then he would say, you know, do the side by side. You could, I am sure you can convince someone that one is the other, definitely. Um, but there's, it's just so different. It's so different. I always go back to the fact that, you know, Bear Bryant used to spend six to eight weeks with John McKay golfing on the West Coast during the mm-hmm. offseason. Can you picture anybody doing that for more than uh, like six to eight days, <laughs> even? He'd be like, yeah, buddy. 
a week away. You're going to spend a week. What are you, what are we doing here? So well, like, and the crazy thing too, exactly what you just say is so accurate that, uh, okay. All the NFL guys think they're just so much better and smarter and more advanced than college guys. Being a coach at the college level is like right there up with like president of the United States. It's if hard. you're, if you're, it's if hard, you're, cause, cause everyone's, there's always someone saying something about you and you always mentally think that what you're doing, you could be doing a little bit more with the NFL. You get to the off season. What are you going to do? Read playbooks. You're not in charge of your roster. Yeah. You could talk to your coaches and scheme some stuff up, but you can't bother grown men at their houses. Like, Hey, you're running. What are you doing? They're yeah. going to show up and they're going to do it or not. There's not really much you could do at that point. And all the guys that talk about the preparation, all that, it's not even close to the calendar that someone like, Kirby or Saban keeps and you've heard Kirby and Saban make jokes about that. I mean, Feinbaum told that story on Sports Center um, tonight where he was talking about that he won a championship and Feinbaum asked him, you know, how it felt. And he's like, well, you know, I missed a week of recruiting. And it's yep. it's such a trite, like, of course he said that. But for him, it kind of makes sense. Well, I would love to know when the moment was that he officially knew. Because I I get the and I don't have any inside information on this. I, I get the feeling that his family has known. I don't know that he has let that leave that circle or if he has even said, or if he even said definitively 100% 2023 is my last season, because I do wonder if there was a certain part of him that left that door open just because you, just, you never know how you're going to feel. You could say, that you're going to feel a certain way in a few months and then you feel differently. That happens with all of us in, in different walks of life. But I wonder mm -hmm. if he hit that point where it was, it was something, it was, it was a specific task and he looked at it and thought, man, I've got to do this. And this is just the beginning of this eight month off season that isn't really off because it's all about what you're doing to build for this next year and the work that goes in to be able to, to do that. I, I do wonder if there was that moment and I don't want to call it an epiphany or anything like that, but just that that realization of, ah, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to do this. I, I have a resume that will stand the test of time. It's going to be a really, really, really long time, maybe never before I'm off of that Mount Rushmore of greatest college football coaches of all time. Yeah. I've just bought this, 70, this $17.5 million home in Jupiter, Florida, right next to Tiger Woods and Ricky Fowler. Maybe I go chill there for a little bit. Maybe I enjoy my time as a grandparent. Maybe I go enjoy my time with Miss Terry. Maybe we go see the world. Maybe he ends up doing college game day. I don't know. But mm -hmm. doing those things as opposed to doing whatever was sitting in front of him on his desk that day, maybe, maybe, again, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm speculating wildly here that it was one specific thing that made him realize that it was time to hang it up and that the passion just wasn't necessarily there for it. But I, I applaud. Question. Yeah, go ahead. No, go um, ahead. Let me ask you a question. What do you think that conversation between him and Kevin Steele was like? <laughs> yeah, go we'll figure the timing of that. Um, I think Kevin Steele knew before, maybe even knew yeah. before Saban that it was his last run. That's, that'd be my guess. It's like, you know, Kevin Steele was kind of away from the big time. Well, I guess he was at Miami. That is considered technically a big time program um technically technically uh but then seeing the grind of, mm -hmm. of what it takes to be at alabama in this era of college football which is even different than when kevin steel was at auburn doing the things that he was doing leading great defenses there um different in the nil portal era where you're having to bring in new guys and teach them the system all the time and something that cole brought up that he was talking about is like 
yeah, you, you'd have sections devoted to practice where these assistants are just out here teaching the new players how they do things and how they run drills and stuff and, and all mm -hmm. the turnover that's associated with that. So like, maybe he just decided that earlier. <laughs> he yeah. just decided, you know what? I, I'm good. I'm good. Again, I don't, I don't need this. Like I, I I've done enough uh, at, at this point in my career, but my gosh, um, the, the legacy will be one that is um, hopefully celebrated more than scrutinized. If your take on whenever you're listening to the, if your take on, on Thursday is, is like, Oh, well, you know what? Can do it in the NFL. <laughs> Touch some grass, man. Touch some grass. That's a level of hating. I can't even get to. Um, and yeah, and, and the reason why, you know, I asked that question about Steele is, you know, those are two guys that almost kind of rode off into the sunset together. I mean, the headlines for Steele is 66, coach 40 years, saving 72, coach 50 years. And you got to think those guys are kind of sitting back chuckling like, you know, this is the last ride because like, they probably both were talking about it throughout the year. Like, what do you think? What do you think? And now Tommy Reese is kind of sitting there like Will Smith and the Fresh Prince with nothing around him. He's like, what do I do? I'm like 30 years old, guys. I don't know what to do. So I do kind of feel for that guy because he obviously left his alma mater to go there. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say this like about Saban and just kind of the opinions of him. I remember I said this a while back about um, like uh, Jamar Chase when he was at LSU and it applies so much even more to Saban. There was that uh, Kobe Bryant commercial where all the fans stood up and they were saying, saying, uh, I've been hating you so long. You know, part of your brain uh, come up as a fan or, and you kind of transition to being an adult, a rational person who doesn't just scream at his, you know, his feet all day is like, you want to respect it, right? You want to say, okay, look at all of these done. Look at all that. But at the end of the day, I think Nick Saban, just like Kobe Bryant, loved that he was hated because the reason why people hated him was because you didn't want to see him. You didn't want to see his team. And so I think that it would almost be disrespectful to Nick Saban to not be a little happy if you're an SEC fan and he's gone. Because that means that whoever comes in is you know, worse than him. They're not going to hit those marks. Because if you thought they had another Nick Saban waiting, you wouldn't be happy. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to say that if you're an LSU fan, Auburn fan, Ole Miss fan, it's okay. Even if you're a 40, 50-year-old man, I'm sure Nick Saban loves that you're sitting there celebrating him leaving. Because that means that, you know, that, that he made a, an impression on you. Because in that commercial it said, you don't hate the pretty good, you hate the great got to be great to get hate. Mm -hmm. That is very true. And I think there are probably a lot of SEC fan bases right now that are looking around going, look, even if they get the splashiest hire in the world, it still ain't Nick. Yep. And that for, for those, for those programs is going to be considered a win. Um, if there's a team that stands to benefit the most from this. And again, we don't know, what this is going to look like. I want to get into potential replacements in, in a minute here. Um, but it's obviously Georgia. It's, it's, it's gotta be Georgia. And I, I wrote about this for, for SDS, um, shameless plug, but that Kirby is the new King of college football. Mm -hmm. He is. I don't really think there's a whole lot of debate about that, especially when you consider like he and Dabo are now the new leaders among active coaches in terms of rings with two. Active coaches, Jim Harbaugh, to be fair. Yeah, well, he has one. I put an asterisk there. and <laughs> You're turning into a hater just like me. I like that. Okay, well, never I mind. Said, Get him off of there. <laughs> well, I said active because it's like, all right, well, if he goes to the NFL, then he's, he's not considered not active, active yeah. college guy. So yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. 
Um, but in the Mac Brown's the other one. And, uh, and there are a whole lot of UNC fans that are like, eh, Mac Brown is, is, is done stick a fork in him. So here's, yeah. here's something to kind of consider. That's just wild, right? Like we talk about the post year one Kirby, which is the last seven years. He has lost a total of 11 games. Will five of them were to Nick Saban six to everyone else, but wait, but wait, there's more. During that seven-year stretch, post-year one, Kirby Smart. The only two active coaches who could raise their hand if I asked the entire room of college football coaches, active college football coaches, hey, do you have a win against Kirby Smart? The only two that are active that could raise their hands, Gus Malzahn and Tom Herman, neither of whom are at the places where they beat Kirby at. So consider that. Because even mm-hmm. like you look around, and you're like, all right, well, Ed O'Dron, not active. Well, Muschamp, not active. People forget about that one. It is, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that is, feels like, okay, th- this, this path just got so much clearer for Georgia, knowing that Kirby is now not looking at the guy who's five and one against him. He all of a sudden is like, well, I've just been destroying everybody else. So I feel really, really good. And they stand to benefit the the absolute most. Like you can make the arguments like Auburn quality of life should get better in that state. Like, you know, like there are other things like that. I'm sure that that will come up. And even Texas coming into the SEC, kind of what does that look like? But Georgia stands to benefit. And Kirby, definitely not Dabo, is the new king of college football. You know what? I Actually, so just quick peel behind the onion. I'm on a meeting with my team. We're doing our whole like blue sky day for 2024, talking about everything we did in 23. You call me. I literally go, oh, that's Connor. That's my co-host. I wonder why he's calling me. Hope it's not an emergency. I keep talking to my team. Next call, Peyton. Interesting. All right. Cool. <laughs> Third call, Perry. Oh, my God. Did Brian Kelly take the Michigan job? What is going on? Why have three people called me? And one of my guys is from Auburn. I was talking about him. He looks at his phone. He goes, oh, my God. Nick Saban retired. I had just said I need to be less emotional as a boss. I'm like, let's go. So, but point being, I'll say this. I talked to Perry um, you know, before I came on here. And I actually do think there's a different answer to that. I think the answer is Lane Kiffin. Because at the end of the day, Kirby Smart has won two mm. national titles with Nick Saban mm. in college football. Lane Kiffin is not. Lane Kiffin has never beat Nick Saban. So if you're going to talk about a boulder in someone's way, that was a boulder in his way. Counterpoint. Okay. Kirby still owns Lane. Oh, true. But now there's just one and not two. True. Okay. Yeah, that's – yeah, no, that's fair. That's that's definitely fair. Um, should we talk potential replacements? Because Lane is part of that, obviously. Part of Let me say one more thing. Think about the amount of former Saban assistants who have gotten, or not even just assistants, just people that have gotten their one in the last couple of years, right? Uh, Jimbo, <clears throat> Sark, Brian Kelly, Kirby Smart, all in the last couple of years. You know that Jimbo sit there with his one win like, thank goodness I got that one. That would have kept me up at night. There are so many coaches with just that one little win over Nick Saban that I can now just say, yeah. okay, okay. And there are some like Lane who never got there. And they're like, dang, you know, I wish as a competitor, you wish you had that. True. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, and I'm, I'm sure like Lane is, by the time this is out, Lane has already probably fired off like 10 tweets like, oh my God, congrats on the, congrats the GOAT, blah, blah, blah. And you know, Lane is... It is it that's got to be so bittersweet for him. That, Ole Miss.com slash transfer portal. Probably what he's tweeting out right now. 
I almost opened with we had big breaking news. Logan Diggs has committed to Ole Miss. Uh, Come on, bro. Didn't want to do that to you, man. Didn't want to do it. Especially on a day in which Bo Davis is uh, is going to, to LSU and leaving Texas. Uh, we're going to get to all that other stuff, by the way. Um, all those personnel moves that we were talking about, probably with some more cleanup on this. But we have to talk about the potential replacements. And I'm going to preface this by saying I would never want to be the guy to replace the guy. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. And I have thought that since I was eight years old. And here's why. Because I remember when Phil Jackson leaves the Bulls and it's the last dance. And I thought to myself, well, this is going to suck in every possible way. And obviously when you have MJ and Pippen and Rodman all leaving, you know that it's going to suck even if they bring in Red Auerbach. I mean, like, come on. But the realization that not only is it going to suck, but it's going to suck so much worse knowing that that just happened is such a hard thing. Like you, I, I, I will give fans the benefit of the doubt. Okay. There is not any sort of emotional prep that one can do to, to, to be able to give that next coach realistic expectations. There's just not. Okay. So this list and, and these names that are going to get thrown out there, I don't know how this is going to go. I have no idea how this search is going to get is going to play out. Who's going to say no? Who's going to be like, you know what? I don't want to replace Nick Saban. I don't want to be, you know, the Ron Zook to Steve Spurrier. Ah, no way. I don't want to be the Tim Floyd to Phil Jackson. Why would I want to sign up for that? Like the Dennis Allen. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I think that at the end of the day, it's the same thing with Pete Carroll. It's like I was talking to uh, my nephew who's actually a Seahawks fan. I was like, y'all had like basically two head coaches since 99. That's crazy. But um, and but they had Jim Mora between Holmgren and Carroll. You know what I'm saying? So usually like you have a guy. So I think if you're a Bama fan, realistically, probably what you want is some uh, just to be real with you, some type of fall guy to where Alabama can set their stuff up for a year or two. Get all the feelers out there. Get Jimmy Sexton working his magic. Because unless you can get that guy right now, it's so rare to follow greatness with greatness. You're absolutely right about that. You know what's weird is I never thought we would get to this point talking about Saban retiring. And my thought would be, oh, God, don't do not do it. Don't go after Dabo. Don't do it. Yep. But that is, that is how I feel. If Alabama 100%. hired Dabo tomorrow, I would say, well, that sucks. And I mean, that sucks for Alabama fans because you have just watched the greatest coach of all time, someone that adapted to different eras of this sport where offenses changed, the money changed, the transfer portal changed, so many different elements that Saban adapted to. And instead, you would have Dabo, the guy that deserves immense credit for what he did in the 2010s with Clemson, with getting that program to a place that had never been before. And then everything that has happened since that would be the move that would make you go, Oh boy, this is, I mean, from a content standpoint, it would be fantastic. And I'm sitting here just like, Oh my God, that would be, Oh, that would be chef's kiss at every turn. Everything that Dabo would say that would just make Alabama fans go, Oh my God, Dabo, this is, this is not what we thought it was going to be. At all. The questions Marler would ask him at media day would be so electric. I would be too. <laughs> Marler right now, by the way, for the, I, I had a couple people reach out like, how's Marler doing? Marler's going to be all right. Marler's going to be all right. He's going to be good. It's good to check in. It's good. 
always mm-hmm. always check in with people. I, I'm, I don't do the best job at that. I admit that. But Marler's going to be all right. Alabama fans, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right because you had this. And those those titles are, are going to last forever. But let's talk about the guy to replace the guy. Let's do it. If you're a Bama fan, I think you would want Kiffin. Yep. I think you would want Kiffin. And I don't know that – I don't know we're at that place where we can say with certainty that Kiffin right now feels like he's ready to take that on. For all we know, Alabama's next great coach is going to be the one after Saban's successor. Okay, like they could end up going around and being like, you know what, the timing of this, we're we're just going to try and bridge the gap. We're we're going to try and bridge the gap, and we're going to try and not do something that's going to seriously, you know, set our program back. You know, Frank Solich situation at Nebraska where he gets fired after he was a very worthy replacement of Tom Osborne and gets fired, and now you kind of look back, and for those that have kind of wondered, like. Why did the Nebraska dynasty fall off in part because people realized that lifting weights won't stunt your growth and you should actually do that. Um, <laughs> and we got a little bit more serious about steroids. That's also part of it. Um, <laughs> but also the fact that like when someone comes in and does that well, and you can go back and look at the numbers with Frank Solich, you keep that guy. You keep that guy. He's not the Ron Zook. He, he is yeah. not that guy. Um but this, this next coach is going to be in a tough spot. I think Lane would be the top guy. The top guy that yep. I want to go after. I want to say that Dan Lanning buyout is expensive from Oregon. Yeah, it's it's really expensive. Pete Thamel had buyouts for potential Alabama head coach candidates, if you're wondering about this. Uh, Dan Lanning's at $20 million. Kalen DeBoer's – and that, by the way, we're talking about Alabama having to pay that $20 million on top of whatever contract it would take to get them right. out of that current deal. Kalen DeBoer's at 12 million bucks. Dabo's at 7.5. Thought it would actually be more than that. <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> big cap. Hey, listen, it was all NIL in the lower brother. It was, uh, we're, uh, let's see. We got, oh yeah. So big cat pointed this out that, that Pete Thamel added, James Franklin edited this tweet and added James Franklin to it. <laughs> Honestly, that would be the dream scenario if you're a Bama fan because you just get somebody you hate and then you're just like, let me just dump on this guy for a year or two and let Jimmy Sexton work his magic. I'm not going to get invested in this guy because I hate him. Dude, that is oil and water right there. Oil and water, yeah, that doesn't go well. That's, that, that would not work out very well. Uh, James Franklin's at $6 million bucks, and then a guy that I would actually be, be okay with if I'm Alabama is Mike Norvell at $4 million. That's an interesting. Mm. That's an interesting one. And I don't think that would be considered splashy. This isn't about splashy, whatever. I, I've often spoke about not really caring about that. I, I think that's a little bit insane. Um D'Amico Ryans is another name that's going to be brought up, obviously, because of the Alabama ties, because of how good at his job he has been in his first year with the Texans. Um, he's not leaving. That's the other thing. Would, uh, the one of the best jobs in America is being an NFL head coach with a young, cheap quarterback. That's what he is right now. I would never leave that for college football. I don't think Bama would go the route of hiring a coordinator. Um, like, and, and some might laugh at, at, at even the thought of that and how insane that could possibly be. But I mean, Kirby is has shut up people like me that say that you can't. 
go from coordinator to big time job, um, different situation with Kirby, but, um, so it's, it's tough to even throw out any of those potential names be like, Oh, would Bama go after like Ryan Grubb for the head coaching positions? Like, no, nah, I don't think they would do that. Like, I, I, it's interesting because while I do think anybody is going to feel like it's not worthy, I think at this point, your hope is just that they can keep this thing afloat and keep, keep Alabama competing for SEC championships in this expanded world, make the 12 team playoff on a yearly basis, or at least not be in those conversations on a consistent basis, which I do think Alabama will. It's still a team loaded with talent. We'll see what that talent looks like with this 30 day window that guys now have to be able to transfer and enter the portal. I don't know mm-hmm. how that ex what, if there's going to be an exodus or, or anything like that. So we're speaking before then. But are there any other names or any of the ones I just mentioned that that would make you go, hmm, that's one that I can get on board with? I will say, and this is one of the things I talked about with Perry, it's insane to say this out loud, but I do believe it. I think Lane Kiffin has matured to the point where he would feel bad leaving his players behind after he got all those guys out of the portal. Now, if he leaves them Bama, just, just bring them over. No, because no if coach leaves, you get 30 days. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, maybe not. I, dude, that your coach leaving rule, I guess I just forgot about it. It's totally changed how I viewed this because it's not like the old days where you're just stuck there. Uh, it's like you, I love that rule because if your coach kind of leaves you and not that save them like abandon them, but if you're tired, you shouldn't be committed to whatever. So, yeah, I think it's going to be. First off, I think it's going to be a full rebuild. I mean, I think you're already talking about rebuilding the offensive line. You're already talking about hiring a new DC, rebuilding the defensive backfield, finding a new pass rusher. You've got like Dallas Turner going to the NFL. Never really been a big issue for Saban reloading, but something like an offensive line is pretty hard to just figure out in a year. You know, it even took Brian Kelly three years to, or two years to figure it out. We cut the first cycle would be three. So point being, I, I, I think that you're right. I think going for an established name is definitely the way to go. Norvell's interesting because the optics of, you know, his last game being against Kirby Smart and it being so terrible uh, would be kind of the old school SEC in me is like, oh, you want to hire that guy that your rival just whooped, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think that um, it, it, it's very interesting because it's almost like if you, you want like a stabilizer. So a guy like Norvell with his work in the portal would be solid. But the, the big thing is like someone that can sell, you know, that culture. So I, I've often been a guy who says that there are certain situations, like if you are Jim Harbaugh or Kirby smart, that being from that place is a really big deal. Most of the time though, not really. I mean, Nick Saban's from West Virginia. Talk about Brian Kelly, not being from the South. So now that being said, I think a guy like DeBoer is a little bit off the board just because, you know, you have to be able to keep recruiting at that level. And he's great. Showed- I think he'd be a great hire. Like, I, I, I so. love me some Kalen DeBoer, but I, I don't know that they will go in that direction. Yeah. And I think, and like, I've, I, I was saying this, I feel like I'm so pro Washington. I've been kind of mean to them lately. And I, I like DeBoer for where he's at. I think that's the thing that you would have to spend so much to build a recruiting infrastructure about Kalen DeBoer because. The, the culture, the speed of the SEC is just a little bit different. I hate to be that guy because, you know, but really when you've been out West and you can beat people with scheme and then it's like, no, 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 you can be Dan Mullen and have this amazing scheme. But if you're getting three and four star guys, you're just going to get blown off the ball. I think that adjustment's just a little bit too much. But I'm a, I said the exact same thing about Dabo, man, that in 2018, 19, I was living in fear that Dabo would replace Nick Saban. I was like, oh, my gosh, not more of this. Now it's like you think, okay, well, our 72-year-old head coach was more 
new age than this guy. So yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see, you know, um, where their athletic director goes and kind of what Alabama becomes as a program, because this is one of those we talked about, you know, kind of a uh, being a king of a state or so. I mean, now they really have a chance to the University of Alabama is going to be in front, not Alabama's head coach. You see what I'm saying? The last time that Alabama hired a head coach, this guy that was in the NFL, didn't really like the way the things played out, didn't end up working out, comes mm-hmm. to Alabama. What about Mike Vrabel? Is that too off the radar? Mike, Ra- Mike Vrabel saw the recruiting machine at Ohio State. And he's considered widely considered an NFL guy. And if Belichick leaves the Patriots, obviously the connection's there. And so I'm, I'm just, th- this is just one of those suggestions. Cole Kublik tweeted out the, the bet online, um, the bet online odds, and he's at 50 to one. Um, but just one of those where it's like the connection to Belichick that Saban has. And like, is there a world in which Belichick would be like, dude, if you, if you don't hire that guy, you're, you're out of your mind. Like Vrabel could absolutely recruit in this day and age. And has done so, like did so at Ohio State. Um, but when- I love that. I, I love that. That's serious because he's such a younger guy. He came up through Ohio State exactly what you said. Kind of like a defensive Brian Hartline in a way. Like sure. it's like, hey, you know, I live this dream. You can live it too. I actually really like that. I mean, I'm sure they don't they don't look at Ryan Day, right? I don't think so. <laughs> Ryan Day is learning what it's like to be the guy after the guy. I mean, Urban, like everybody – everybody looks at Ohio state and, and just thinks 21st century success and forget kind of what it was in the post Jim Trestle era. And that year that they had with Luke fickle. And it was kind of like, Oh man, like is Ohio state going to kind of fall off the map. And then urban comes in there that year where they had the bull band that year one, they go undefeated and urban mm-hmm. kind of built things back up. And obviously like urban fell off at, at the end because that's just what urban does, but he's a destroyer. He's not a builder. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, I, I do think urban, I, I think urban has a case to be made as a builder, but based on the fact they did it for, did it at Ohio state. Um, but, and by the way, urban's not getting this job. Urban's no. not getting this job. No. I'll go on. Saban would be calling the athletic office. Not, are you kidding me? After all yeah. I've done for you. No, I don't think Dion's getting this job. I know that's going to be talked <laughs> about. That is a suggestion. It's just unserious. Anyone who thinks that you're ridiculous. I don't, I don't think Alabama's brass is signing up. For that, I don't think they're in that type of position. Um, and then the one other name, the one other name that that I think you would look at and go, hmm, well, you have to at least take that into consideration, right? You have to think about what this would be moving forward, and 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 it would it would be all about how this person feels about Alabama. Is Sark? I mean, mm-hmm. Sark. The job that he did as Alabama's OC, a move that I criticized after it didn't work out with the Falcons, and he was public enemy number one, wasting the weapons there. And then he comes in Alabama, he's like, I am still really good at this. And he yep. has shown us. And we've Texas. seen just how good he was since he left, because even with Bill O'Brien, there was a big fall off to me. You know, what Sark has done in the last five years has shown me this guy is still so unbelievably good and should be highly coveted in this sport. That would be another one where I'd be like, yep, that's a great move. But why leave Texas? Why leave Texas when you have it all lined up right there? Why do you yep. need to go and, and, and try and replace Saban and try and live up to the Saban standard when you, you are, you just did the thing that hasn't been done since 2009. Like you're not bored yet. I wouldn't think, but again, I don't know how Sark 
feels specifically about Alabama, feels about the role that Alabama played in rebuilding his career. So that one is a little bit tougher to, to decipher, but it's going to be a wild list, man. It's going to be a wild list. And there's, it, in all likelihood, it's probably going to be a guy that we didn't even name right there. Like, that's just the way that things, these things usually work. Yep. And, and here's the other thing, too. It's that, I mean, if Harbaugh leaves for the NFL, I mean, you got two of the top five right. jobs open at the same time. And Michigan would be telling you, we just won a national championship and beat Alabama. Alabama's not at our level right now. And, you know, if you're a Northern guy and you, ple- you know, you, you grew up around Michigan, you, you agree. You know, because because going 15-0, the way that they won the championship, beating out all that, I mean, they're on at least comparable levels right now, and you've proven that. Imagine if Michigan had better recruiting, because Darbo's not this great recruiter. Yeah, I don't know. I think people even even um, north of the Mason-Dixon would say, mm-hmm. Saban won six at Bama. Right. That's still the gold standard. It mm-hmm. still is. And it was Michigan's year. It was Michigan's year. Um, but yeah, man, if those two vacancies are open, just when we think the coaching carousel stops. Some, I had to correct someone last week who was like, yeah, the coaching carousel stops spinning. I'm like, what are you talking about? This thing never keep going. Obviously did not forecast it like this. The timing is certainly interesting. And how this will be viewed in the open market is going to be fascinating. But man, I think that uh, I think that'll about do it. We're going to have a lot more, obviously, on this. Um, the plan is to have Feinbaum on the pod that we will record on Monday of next week. He's going to be a very busy man. We had actually set up uh, for him to be able to come on before all of this went down. Timing uh, mm-hmm. has worked out very, very well. So we will have him on next week, and we will still do uh, our normal pod that comes out Friday morning. So be on the lookout for that. This has been fun, man. This was, holy cow. Did not think that this day would come. I'm going to, right when we hop off this um, this call, I'm going to go just open the front door and peek for robots. You have to at this point. I, yes, I already had the call with my mom where I told her that happened and she was jumping for joy and playing LSU's fight song. It's been a great day. I've been very professional here today. Uh, but like I said, it's a great day if you're an opposing fan base. There's no way to act like it's not is disingenuous and save it without like that. So I think that... You know, I talked about the, this era ending, and buddy, is it? Uh, this is going to be a whole new beast to college football. And, you know, we talked about, you know, Claire and the world of college football she's going to grow, grow up in. It's going to be completely different than the one that we've covered this whole time. New era of college football in every way, shape, or form. And the GOAT will not be a part of it. Unless he's on college game day. I don't think he should put on, if he replaces Corso, I don't think he should do the the, the helmet thing, though. That That's not, that should, that should fade when Corso drifts off into the sunset um i wouldn't mm-hmm. i wouldn't be on board with that but i think he's probably just going to be chilling for this next chapter of his life but yeah that'll do it we're still going to have like i said pods that are uh coming out in the next few days as well with a pod that comes out on friday morning watch every episode of the saturday down south podcast on our youtube channel it is saturday down south on youtube thanks guys talk soon